Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you get one thing from today, it's just grace alone. Grace alone. So you can stop listening now and just repeat grace alone. All that we do depends not on us. And not on our own doing, but on God's love for us and what God does for us in Christ Jesus. And so we're going to start today by looking at Martin Luther and his, uh, in his premise of grace alone, one of the five solas of the Reformation. And we'll, we'll then move um, from this kind of intellectual ascent to trust, because Luther said, it's not just saying, oh yes, I agree with that, oh, I assent to that, I understand that concept or that doctrine, but that it's staking your whole life and trusting that God is who God says God is, and that it's not up to our works, but to God's grace. And then we'll quickly move to some applications of how the grace in our life um, is is then shed out abroad so that the grace we receive um, is the grace for everyone. And um, because I always like messing with with beloved historical figures, we'll talk about how Martin Luther did not live up to that all the time in his own life. And I'm not being judgmental because uh, I, I, I'm, I'll say be the first to tell you I'm the same. I don't always live up to grace that I've received in my interactions with others. So this is part of what Martin Luther wrote in 1545, where he was just explaining his understanding um, of punitive sovereignty, where the ruler is able to punish. And he writes, I hated that word, righteousness of God, which according to the use and custom of all the teachers, I had been taught to understand philosophically regarding the formal or active righteousness, as they called it, with which God is righteous and punishes the unrighteous sinner. And I think that this is very often the way in which we understand authority, and it's the way that we understand what it means to be a good person. You, you do something bad, and the arbiters of the good and bad then punish you. And it's not all bad. There are ways in which we train up our toddlers. No, yes, no, yes. We set rules and limits. And it's part of our moral development. And yet sometimes we carry with us the sense that we deserve punishment. Or that nothing we ever do can be good enough. That who we are isn't enough. And then we look at the church. And I've heard some of us say this before. The church is where we can learn how to be good people. Sure, there are some good people in church. But if church is where we learn how to be good people, 
Sooner or later, we will have a crisis of faith. Because you don't have to be in church to be a good person. And I'm sure lots of us can think of people outside of the church who are good people. Further, being in church does not make you a good person. And some of us might be able to think of people in church, maybe it's the person sitting next to you today, who just is not a good person. And when we think about faith and think about God as making us into good people, we're never going to be good enough. Or, we're already good enough, and so we have absolutely no need for God. But faith isn't about goodness. And righteousness is not about goodness. And God is not threatening us or condemning us in any way. So that I can look out at each one of you and know your stories, know some of your stories, know some of the ways in which we feel like we measure up and we are, we're good enough, we're good people. We own a Prius, right? Like, we're doing our job with the environment. And then look out and see other times when we feel like we absolutely don't measure up. And we despair. Martin Luther wrote about this time in his life when he hated the words righteousness of God. And he said, Though I lived as a monk without reproach, I felt that I was a sinner before God with an extremely disturbed conscience. I could not believe that God was placated by my satisfaction. I did not love. Indeed, I hated the righteous God who punishes sinners. I said, as if indeed it is not enough that miserable sinners eternally lost through original sin are crushed by every kind of calamity by the law of the Ten Commandments, without having God add pain to pain by the gospel, and also with the gospel threatening us with God's righteousness and wrath, I raged. And Luther could not reconcile the idea of a punitive, a punitive king a punitive ruler, a righteous God whose righteousness was defined by his unwillingness to look on sin, a righteousness of God whose righteousness was defined by his careful, measured punishment of all that was unrighteous in the world. An anger at God is holy, Anger at God can be good. Martin Luther took his anger at God and he wrestled and wrestled and wrestled with it. And he did not leave until he had a blessing. And over time, he began to understand the righteousness of God is a gift of God by faith. Righteousness 
is that which the merciful God justifies us by faith. The righteousness of God is the work of God. The righteousness of God is what God does in us. The power of God with which God makes us strong. The wisdom of God with which God makes us wise. The strength of God, the salvation of God, the glory of God. Grace, as we said, grace alone is a gift entirely gift, completely outside of ourselves. There's nothing we can do to be good people, to be counted as righteous. Absolutely nothing except the faith of Christ by which God looks at us and says to us, you are righteous, you're forgiven, you're loved, You're free. Now, this is something that we can have an intellectual assent to and have great conversations about, oh, yes, yes, I I entirely believe grace alone. We can write on our little um, uh, post-it notes later, grace alone, and put them up on that door over there. You'll find in each pew there's a, there's a, a sticky note, um, and it's probably on the end of each pew, a stack of sticky notes. And so after the sermon today, just write on the sticky note whatever message of grace or reform or protest or praise that you have. And then either during communion or after the worship service today, you can go and place your sticky note up on that door over there this sign, this public declaration of this is who God is and this is who God says that I am. Grace would absolutely change everything, not just if we agreed to it, but if we really trusted it and we really staked our life on it. Now, we're taught from a very young age that we earn everything. We earn an A, or we earn a B, or a C, or a D. We earn our allowance. We earn the love of people who just seem like maybe they're never going to earn, they're never going to love us back. We think we can earn everything. And that's not an intellectual thing. I don't walk around and say, oh yes, I am earning God's love today. But it's how we live our lives that we know whether we're actually trusting in that and staking ourselves on that. And so, when we think we can earn anything, when we think that God's grace is kind of up for sale, and we can do enough good deeds and come to church enough and invite enough friends to church and say, check out my church so many times that that whole tree is filled with orange things. If we think that we can read the Bible enough or pray enough or just do any sort of thing enough for God to love us, we're operating in the same way that Johann Tetzel was who was selling indulgences. 
who was able to say, give this money and when the coin in the treasure chest clinks or clings from soul a purgatory from from purgatory a soul will spring this sense of yeah not just can we buy it with our actions but we can buy it with our money and martin luther was aghast he was horrified He said, the exploitation of the poor is wrong. This is exploiting people's worst fears. And everything that Martin Luther railed about in the church of his day, we can find it in the churches of our day, too. The best-selling Christian books and the best-selling televangelists preach this prosperity gospel today. Where if you give this money to this person, then good things are going to happen to you. And that's wrong. There's no way that we can earn good things in our life or earn God's love or earn God's favor or earn the church or earn anything. And so Luther began applying this theory of grace to what he was doing. But he didn't apply it all the way. And so the grace that Luther had did not extend to Jews. He wrote and preached anti-Semitic things that laid the foundation for the Holocaust four and a half centuries later. He didn't extend the grace to those outside of his group. And then he didn't extend the grace to reforming civil societies. In 1517, he nailed 95 theses to the door. In 1524, a peasant's war broke out in Germany. As peasants said, if we're able to challenge the church and all of those in religious power, can we not challenge all of those in political power too? And political and religious power were so interwoven during that period that the people in the Peasants' Revolt got inspiration from Luther and Zwingli and other reformers. And this Peasants' War lasted only a year and a half. And Luther said something that might sound familiar today. There was violence on many sides. He addresses the princes and lords and says, Don't make light of this rebellion. You need to be more considerate, princes and lords. And he even calls them out and says, As temporal rulers, you do nothing but cheat and rob the people so that you may lead a life of luxury and extravagance, and the poor common people can bear it no longer. He calls out the leaders of his day. But that admonition to peace was followed by a pamphlet entitled Against the Rioting Peasants a title which would be reprinted in other cities as 
against the murderous, thieving hordes of peasants. And we've heard language like that, where it's first riotous, and then it's murderous and thieving hordes. And at this point, Luther begins to justify the actions of the princes against the peasants, even when it involves violence by the state against the poor. And he says, stab, smite, slay, whoever can. And the Peasants' Revolt was put down in 1526. What Luther gives to us, what God gives to us, can be this understanding that grace changes everything. And that our ways of understanding who earns what, who deserves what, who's included, who's excluded what we can do, how we can live, who has power, who has authority, who has control, what is the right use of money. All of these questions. And Luther goes and he stands and he says, here I am. Here I stand. I can do no other. And he makes these bold, outrageous proclamations about what grace in the gospel means in our lives. And then he gets really scared and says, I'm just going to keep on defending those who've, you know, earned their positions and their titles as princes and lords. And I'm going to keep on defending Christians against Jews. And the grace that Luther had a glimpse of, it didn't entirely transform the society. So here we are 500 years later, and we have glimpses of grace. We have ways in which God is speaking to us and saying to us, I love you, I care for you, I value you. There's nothing you can do to make me love you any less, and there's nothing you can do to make me love you any more. My love for you just is. It's there. And it's not only for you, but it's for the world. And you can participate in my love for the world. And you can participate in my stretching out my arms for the world. And you can participate by letting everyone know that there's nothing they can do to earn my love. Grace alone. <laughs>